0: We continue to look at the grace that transforms, and today we'll look at how this passage in particular deals with that hope and faith, hope and faith, and what that means in our lives today. So we look at Hebrews chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. And if you're able, would you stand with me as we read the word of God? Lord, grant us your grace as we come to your word. Have your spirit descend upon us and provide for us understanding and insight that we may not just read the words, but that we might understand what they say, be able to apply them in the life that you called us to live. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Chapter 11, verses 1, 2, and 3. Now, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. For by it the men of old gained approval. By faith we understand that the worlds were prepared by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things which are visible. This is God's inspired word for us today. So please be seated. Now, I'm a big uh, Charlie Brown fan. How many of you are Charlie Brown fans? Okay. Uh, I have in my uh, office one or two copies of The Gospel According to Peanuts. Has anybody read that book, The Gospel According to Peanuts? Okay, it's, it's a, if you look, it's a compilation of, of the strips that Charles Schultz wrote that deal with the things of Scripture. And it basically goes through and presents the gospel or shows us how Charles Schultz presented the gospel and often very deep theological truths in the Peanuts comic strip. In the paper, it, it, when I grew up, the paper that we received on Sunday, Peanuts always had the top of the first page. You know, uh, when I was walking, I don't get the Sunday paper here, but as I was walking, uh, you know, you've got the uh, headlines, the basic newspaper on the front, uh, but when I was growing up, Peanuts had the front page, okay, so you can tell what uh, place it held in our hearts in Pennsylvania. Um, I also have an autograph of Charles Schultz. My grandmother gave it to me. Uh, She gave me this book. It was about Charles Schultz. And I said, oh, thanks. You know, it's one of those gifts. Well, that's thanks. I like peanuts. And then I opened it, and there was his signature. Uh, That and $4, I can go to uh, Starbucks and get coffee. But someday, it might be worth something. It's worth a lot to me. And I played Charlie Brown in the school play my junior year. You're a good man, Charlie Brown. You know, I had the shirt with the big black thing, uh, yellow shirt, and, and my only criticism was that I was too happy to play Charlie Brown. Okay, He was always kind of melancholy. Uh, and if you remember, well, growing up, we always watched the Charlie Brown specials. And, uh, uh, you know, in the fall, they have the one, and, and Lucy says, uh, come on, Charlie Brown, I'm going to hold the football for you this year, and I want you to come and kick it. And he says, no, no, you always pull it all away, and Lucy, ever the... Uh, um, conniver, I don't know what you want to call Lucy. But she said no, and she would convince him that she was gonna hold it. And you hear, you know, ah and then Charlie Brown goes flying through the air and Lucy says, Oh Charlie Brown, you believe me every time. Okay? And then you've got the the Christmas special uh where where Charlie Brown's responsible for buying the tree and he gets held up in some fashion and ends up with this piddly little tree and he puts one, you know, ornament on it, and it bends over like this, and he goes off, and then at the end, they've decorated, looks fantastic. Well, today I want us to focus on Halloween and the Great Pumpkin, okay? How many of you remember the Great Pumpkin? All right, Halloween night, Halloween night, the Peanuts gang goes out, and they're trick-or-treating, but Linus refuses to go. Why? Well, he convinces Sally, who is Charlie Brown's little sister, to sit with him in the pumpkin patch and await the coming of the great pumpkin. Now, Sally doesn't really believe in the great pumpkin, but she's got the hots for Linus. So she goes with him. And Linus says, if you sincerely believe in the great pumpkin and wait for him in a sincere pumpkin patch that he would arrive and bearing gifts. He'll come he tells Sally because I have the most sincere pumpkin patch in the country this year. And the and the great pumpkin respects sincerity. So Charlie Brown tells Sally that the great pumpkin doesn't exist, but Sally as I said likes Linus so she goes off. It's you know gives up all the parties and the trick or treats and goes to sit outside in the cold in the pumpkin patch waiting for the great pumpkin. Now, Linus sincerely believes, but the great pumpkin never shows. And everybody laughs at him, even Snoopy. Okay, and you know how Snoopy laughs. I, I can't do it, but you know how Snoopy laughs. That dog laugh. Sally is angry because she has trusted him, and she's missed out on Halloween. Sincerity is nice, but believing in what is wrong, even very sincerely, gets you what? Nothing. It's you, you're wrong when you do that. Remember Jim Marshall from the Minnesota Vikings picked up a fumble and sincerely ran all the way down the field sincerely believing that he had scored except what was the problem ran wrong way okay <laughs> sincerely wrong sincerely wrong now the great pumpkin episode aired for the first time in October of 1966 now that makes me 4 so i can get away without answering this question what was peaking in 1966 No, don't answer that question. The death of God controversy. Okay, the death of God. Now, it was a headline in Time Magazine. Is God dead? Okay, that was the headline on Time Magazine. The article, which was written by Thomas Altizer, said, We must recognize that the death of God is a historical event. God has died in our time, in our history, in our existence. And in his book, The Gospel of Christian Atheism, I think that's one big oxymoron, The Gospel of Christian Atheism, he says that the transcendent God we once hoped in and appealed to now no longer existed, for where were signs of him to be found? He said, he assured readers that the God of, modern, of the modern world intended that we live without his intervention and rather than hope in heaven, our transcendent longings could be met within our own world. He said, God is dead. This is the way it was meant to be. He didn't want us to hope in him. He wants us to find fulfillment right here in this world. So, that is the context, the world context into which Sally cries at the end of the evening, I was robbed! I spent the whole night waiting for the Great Pumpkin when I could have been out for tricks or treats. Halloween is over and I missed it. What a fool I was. I want restitution. Okay? You can just see Sally crying out for restitution. Now, Linus, on the other hand, we see him, he writes this little letter to the Great Pumpkin. He says, oh, dear Great Pumpkin, everyone tells me you are a fake, but I believe in you. Sincerely, Linus Van Pelt. And then he puts a P.S. in it. If you really are a fake, don't tell me because I don't want to know. All right? Now, the year after the Time cover story came out saying, Is God dead? New York Times front page, one year later, said, God is dead doctrine is losing ground to the theology of hope. Now, Jürgen Moltmann, who I'll talk about in just a second, wrote a book called Theology of Hope. And he said... If we had before our eyes only what we see, then we should reluctantly reconcile ourselves with things as they happen to be. That fact that we do not reconcile ourselves is due to our unquenchable hope. This hope keeps man unreconciled until the great day of the fulfillment of all the promises of God. Now, Moltmann tended towards pantheism, or panantheism, which was God is in everything, but here he had it right. Okay, God is not dead. God is one that we do not see, but we hold on to, what's it say here? Faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the convictions of things not seen. This is the Christian life, okay? Show me, have you met God? This is one of the questions I've received from non-believers. Show me God, so I can show you plenty of evidence of God. Can I bring down God right here? No. Can I show you Jesus Christ? They are in the body of Christ. They don't particularly like that answer. That doesn't satisfy them so often. But if we think, if we would hold to the idea that the atheist or humanistic thought holds to, that this is all that there is, that if we would fix our minds on on man, that we are the sum of all things, that we climbed out of the primeval or primordial slime and developed from a single-cell animal or single-cell entity, that we are the result of the coming together of two innate and inanimate particles four billion years ago, and that this is all that there is, then I can see why people live in hopelessness. There's no place to go with that. There's nothing to hope for. I mentioned last week Bertrand Russell, a famous atheist. After 90 years as a philosopher, during that time he wrote the book Why I'm Not a Christian, it's probably a compilation of the worst reasons not to believe in Christianity. Uh, I mean, it's it's really not a very good book. But he was very famous and, and would often debate Christians. He summed up his life after 90 years as a philosopher. He said, philosophy has proved a washout to me, a washout. He never did get any answers, no answers for him. He once wrote, he said, I say quite deliberately that the Christian religion has been and still is the principal enemy of moral progress in the world. The whole conception of God is derived from ancient oriental despotism, a conception quite unworthy of free men. We must conquer the world by intelligence. And after 90 years, what did he know? nothing nothing and that's how he died now he knows a lot now I promise you but he had no hope nothing to hope for John Calvin says hope is the inseparable companion of faith they have to be tied together the inseparable companion of faith what is hope Calvin says, hope is nothing else than the expectations of those things which faith has believed to have been truly promised by God. Okay, not those things that we think God might give us. But those things which are truly promised by God. When has God ever changed his mind? When has he ever gone back on his word? When has he ever deviated from his character? When have his promises not been true or come to fulfillment? Never. These are the things that have been promised by God. Calvin goes on to say, Thus faith believes God to be true. Hope awaits the time when the truth shall be manifested. Faith believes that he is our father. Hope anticipates that he will ever show himself to be a father toward us. Faith believes that eternal life has been given to us. Hope anticipates the day it will be revealed. Faith is the foundation upon which hope rests. Hope nourishes and sustains faith. They go together. They're tied together. Now, what is the object of our hope? Well, unlike Linus, whose hope was, what, the great pumpkin. Okay, the object of our hope and our faith is God, the one who does what? Gives us faith. The one who demonstrates that our hope is always justified in him because he never lets us down. Psalm 25, David says, No one whose hope is in you will ever be put to shame. Psalm 62, Find rest, O my soul, in God alone. My hope comes from him. Romans 15, May the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace as you trust in him, so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. Romans chapter 5. We also rejoice in our sufferings because we know that suffering produces perseverance, perseverance character, character hope, and hope does not disappoint us because God has poured out his love into our hearts by the Holy Spirit whom he has given to us. Whom he has given to us. <clears throat> In the Old Testament, Abraham hoped against hope. For what? He and Sarah. Child. Sarah was 90 years old. But God had promised them a child. And what they do? Well, they tried to do it on their own. Well, they'll adopt their nephew. No, it wasn't him. Uh, Sarah said, "Here, uh, here's uh, Hagar. Hagar. Um, Have a child and we'll call call him ours. No, that wasn't it. You will have a child of your own. Why? Because God has promised it. They had faith in him and they hoped against hope. And it wasn't this nebulous hope that, well, maybe he'll do it. No, he said he was going to do it. Now, it took a little while to get that through their heads, but he said he was going to do it. And that's what he did. Throughout the Old Testament, we see repeatedly that hope is something that the Old Testament, you know, those, those, those great men and women of faith in the Old Testament, they had faith and they had hope because that hope was always in the promises that God made. They acted upon those promises. Did they ever see Christ? No. But he was promised. So they ordered their lives in accordance with the word of God. Faith is a substance of things hoped for, evidence of things not seen. Now the word faith is simply a Greek word, means belief, trust, Confidence. It says faith is first of all a substance of things hoped for. See the promises that came to the Old Testament people were so real. That even though they didn't see them fulfilled. They ordered their lives in accordance with them. They based all that they did upon what God said would happen. We say faith is not this uh, wistful I'm going to jump off the edge and maybe the Lord will catch me. That's not faith. That's not trusting. That's not hoping that something will simply come to pass. The faith that God gives us is a faith that is based in the object of that faith. The object of our faith is our Heavenly Father. Not the great pumpkin. It is the Heavenly Father. Now, Christian hope, that which we hope for, is in the sense of very much a belief against the things of this world if we follow the world standards the world standards are very very visible to us they're pure and they're clear and they're right in front of us they are tangible to us so often the things of God are not that tangible to us you remember our three friends from the old testament Shadrach Meshach and Abednego here they have Nebuchadnezzar Nebuchadnezzar says bow down worship the statue and here's Nebuchadnezzar Probably the most powerful individual in the world today. He is real. He is right in front of them. And what did they say? We're not going to do it. We are going to be faithful to our God. Where is God? He's not right in front of them. He is not, in a sense, the most powerful man in earth at that, on earth at that time. But yet he was real. And what did God do? He kept them safe. Because their hope was not in vain. Nebuchadnezzar was more tangible, more in a sense powerful, earthly speaking, but yet God was the one that they hoped in and they kept faith in. Faith is evidence of things that aren't seen. It's conviction that the unseen exists. Okay, it is living like you believe it. There's one thing to say: I believe it. You know, it's an easy illustration. Your little son or daughter goes out to the edge of the diving board, and there you are in the deep end. Say, jump. Well, I'll catch you. And the little your little child says, I know you'll catch me, Dad. I have confidence in that. But they don't jump. See, that's not quite faith. Faith is saying, I know you'll catch me, and off they go. Okay? And off they go. That's what the Lord says. Saying you have faith, saying that you hope in the things of the Lord is really not sufficient. You must live like you do you must live like you do who can we go to to find evidence of this there's a guy in the old testament named noah the lord came to him how was noah categorized he says noah's a righteous man the lord says Noah it's going to rain Noah says great what's rain okay. it had not rained in existence at that time there had been no rain as we would understand it The water came from the the great depths underneath. And he says, no, it's going to rain so much that it's going to flood the world, and I want you to build an ark. And he gives him all these instructions. And what does Noah do? For 120 years, he builds that ark. Now, you know, if I have a project that goes more than a weekend, I get antsy about it. Okay. i was like well okay well i can i leave it done like this no i better finish it 120 years of living out this faith and who was there to help him all of his neighbors oh, no when he said well you know guys god's going to make it rain and flood the world and they all said what's rain And he said, well, it's this stuff that's going to fall from the sky and the water's going to rise and everybody's going to be killed except those people who are in the ark. And they went, (laughs) ha, ha, right. And you can imagine, it doesn't happen for the week. It doesn't happen for the months. It doesn't happen for the first year, the first 10 years, the first 50 years, the first 100 years. But Noah's building that ark. Why? Faith and hope is not to be disappointed when it is placed in God. The rains came, you know the rest. That is faith and hope. Do we put our trust in our Heavenly Father? Do we put our faith there? Is that what we hope in? Or do we have to have stuff right in front of us that only we can believe with our hands? Or is it enough that God's character is such, his promises always come to fulfillment, and he will never desert us or forsake us? John Goff, who was an evangelist in England many years ago, tells a story of a little boy he met in a hospital. And and the one boy had been hit by a bus and the other boy had the fever. Both of them were very sick. And the little boy um, who was hit by the bus looks over in the next bed and there's his buddy and he's got the fever, and he says, You know, I was down at the mission this Sunday, and they told me about believing in Jesus. That if, if I believe in Jesus, that he will come into my life and that, that he will change me and he will save me. And all I had to do was put up my hand. And, and the little boy who had the fever said, well, you know, what, what if my hand's not up when he comes by? Will he still see me? He says, well, I don't know. But I'll tell you what I'll do. He says, I'll make sure your hand is up. So he reaches over. The boy with the fever was too weak. He reaches over, and he props up the little boy's hand with the fever in bed that night. And there he is with pillows around his hand. Nurses come in the next morning. little boy has passed away in the night, but his hand is propped up like that. He said, oh, that's a cute story, Rand. What's it mean? Jesus says, we all must become like what? little children to enter the kingdom okay that's what faith is not only is it a childlike faith this is what the Lord says therefore I believe it okay because it is real it is also a faith that is built upon an endless string of fulfilled promises of the Lord an endless demonstration of his character an endless time when he did not disappoint It is built upon the presence of the Holy Spirit in our lives who comes and gives us such great power to do the things that the Lord calls us to. What can prevail against the church? What can prevail against the gospel? Remember? Nothing. The gates of hell cannot prevail against the spread of the church. Where's your faith? What do you hope in? Is it in things of this world? You will be disappointed. Okay? Fact of life. You will be disappointed. If your faith is in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, if you are hoping upon those things of the gospel and those promises of our Heavenly Father, then you will experience the grace that we so desperately desire, that grace and that mercy and that care that comes only from Him. So let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are not disappointed when we hope and trust in you. We are never left by ourselves. For once we reside in your care and in the palm of your hand, nothing can take us from that. Linus believes sincerely, but sincerely wrong. There are billions of people in this world who believe sincerely, but they do not believe sincerely in Jesus Christ. They will be disappointed. They live in error, futility. For Christ said, I am the way and the truth and the life, and no one gets to the Father except through me. We find that this gift of faith that you provide for us we find this hope clearly displayed in scripture it is a hope in you it is faith in you the author and perfecter of our faith we come to you today lord and even though you've placed us in this world and we must function in this world And you have given us gifts to be successful in this world and to use the things of the world not for just survival and enjoyment, but use them for your glory. That our faith and our trust and our hope in you might be demonstrated by what we say and what we do. That our priorities would be so ordered that it is not this world that brings us the greatest pleasure. It is our faith and our trust in you. Lord, we are about to come to the table today. We pray that you will come upon us. That our faith and our hope would not be disappointed. Come and bring your grace and your care. Some for perhaps the first time will have their eyes opened and receive Christ as Lord and Savior. Others of us who've come to the table before, come and minister to us, Lord. We come with needs, we come with hurts, we come with joys, all of these things. No better place to put them than at the throne of grace. No better means for which your care and love and grace for us can be communicated in the bread and the cup. Lord, we ask all of these things in Jesus' name. Amen. As we prepare for communion, let us stand and sing the first two verses.